If you're a pop culture junkie who loves TV, film, music, comedy, and other really important stuff, then you've come to the right place. Get ready and settle in for Classic Conversations, the best pop culture interviews in the world. That's right, we circled the globe so you don't have to. If you're ready to be the king of the water cooler, then you're ready for Classic Conversations with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Gene, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week was no exception. Welcome, everybody, to episode 182 of Classic Conversations. As always, I am your host, Jeff Dewaskin. Great to have you back for what's sure to be another classic conversation for the record books. This one's going to the dogs. Well, maybe not exactly going to the dogs. My guest today is 50s and 60s child star John Provost. That's right, Timmy from Lassie. Lassie was kind enough to save John from the well. We sat him down, dried him off first, and had an amazing conversation about his career. And that's coming up in just a few seconds. And in these few seconds, I want to remind you of the amazing conversation from last week. Episode 180 with Rita Rudner one of the funniest comedians in the world. Be sure to check out that goodness and the Crossing the Streams bonus episode. All this goodness awaits you. But we know why you're here. Right now, we're going to dive into the past with John Provost. We're talking Lassie and so much more. You're going to love it. Enjoy. All right. My next guest was one of the most famous child actors from the 50s and 60s, star of So Big, star of The Computer War Tennis Shoes. But his TV legendary status was locked in with the role of Timmy Martin on Lassie. Welcome to the show, John Provost. <laughs> hey, Jeff. Hi. Hey, listeners. All right. Thank you for having me. Oh, my God. I'm so, so happy to have you. Let me mention your book, Timmy's in the Well, the John Provost story that you wrote with your wife, Lori Jacobson. Thank you. Amazing book. You know what is crazy about that, Jeff? I'm dyslexic. And so I, I have the stories. But as far as writing stuff down, forget it. It's a real pain. But when Lori and I, when we finished the book, I found out stuff that I didn't even know about myself. So yeah, it was pretty amazing. That is probably one of the side effects of having a historian as a wife. <laughs> yeah, I know. She just kept digging and digging and digging and, you know, things started coming back to the memory. So it was great. No need to hide the passwords from Lori. She's going to She's going <laughs> to She's got them all. <laughs> but I've got hers too. <laughs> We're equal. <laughs> When I read books like this, there's always something that kind of blows my mind. And as I kind of research, apparently other people knew this, but Timmy never actually fell in a well. And the whole joke of after the show, I mean, just forever, right, is mm -hmm. I think people know this, but maybe don't even know it came from Lassie, right? If someone goes, you don't hear something, you go, what? Timmy fell in the well? <laughs> exactly. And, you know, we do not know where that came from. Yes, Timmy never did fall in a well. He fell, I fell in abandoned mine shafts, off cliffs, into you, you name it, quicksand. Hello? Really? I, I don't think there is such a thing, but one time I was in quicksand. When we were researching the book, I did 259 half-hour episodes. So, you know, some of them blend together. And, and when we were filming, 
we could be working on three different scripts in the same day. So it was, you know, everything was convoluted. It was kind of crazy. So we went through every episode. Thank God my mother saved stuff and she saved every script that I had. The first page of every script was a, a synopsis that half hour was about. Never fell in a well. Um, we did find one episode it, with that reference. What happened? There was a couple bad guys, and they fell into an old abandoned well, or one of them did. And of course, Lassie and Timmy saved them. But no, it never did happen, and we don't have a clue. But it, like you said, everybody, even today, Colbert, Carson used to say it all the time. Letterman, they all, everybody, you know, once a week they would say that. So. It's funny. You're right. You fell in lakes between railroad cars, Badger Hole. Oh, it was some horrible places. Yeah, but we lived. <laughs> we survived. I'm surprised we, parents were watching the show and we're like, we can't have kids. We cannot have kids. <laughs> it is so dangerous to have kids. The whole thing about that, that series, every episode, Timmy got in trouble or he got stuck in something. But the, the point was he learned from his mistakes. He never talked back to his parents and everything always turned out okay at the end of the episode. You know, so yeah, everybody was happy. You know, people always come up and they say, oh, you know, my parents wouldn't let me watch the show because I always cried. And I said, yeah, but it was a good cry for you. You learned something from it. You see, Timmy? <laughs> <laughs> so I did find though, it, looking that Lassie did fall in a well herself in season 17, which would have been after you left the show. <laughs> but there was a two-parter called For the Love of Lassie, where Lassie was trapped in a well. So... <laughs> I missed that one. Sorry. Well, I figured for your research, it probably <laughs> yeah. There you go. Part. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so that. <laughs> All right. So yeah, I thought that was. I just thought that was hilarious. But it's so yeah. cool, like to have that. It's just being part of the kind of just the lexicon of just American culture. It's like it's like so many things. It's like when you watch. I remember watching stuff, and I made my wife sit down and watch The Godfather once. I go, you have to watch The Godfather because if you don't watch The Godfather. You miss half the references. Everything references the Godfather. So oh, it's like sure. there's just certain things that you have to know that are so ingrained in pop culture. Exactly. Timmy in the Well. Oh, for sure. For sure. Do you sell Timmy in the Well shirts? You should. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so uh, you mentioned uh, you had dyslexia, and that was an interesting part of the book. And one of the parts that made me chuckle was that your mom would read you the parts and then you just had an innate, you were amazing at just memorizing. Yeah, I, I never had. The way I got in the business was not because my parents were in the business and nobody in the family was. It was just because mom wanted an actress's, Jane Wyman, her autograph. You know, my first job, I was not quite three years old. So I grew up on the soundstage. So I picked all that stuff up. And but then when it came time, like you said, to read and learn the lines, um, I was having issues. So yeah, so my mom would read me the lines the night before. And on Lassie, uh, we shot an average 10 to 12 pages a day, I would uh, memorize those lines. And I think she would just say them, we would do it maybe a couple or three times max. And then the next day, uh, of course, we would just rehearse it before we did the scene, we didn't have a table read and stuff, you know, like a lot of series do, we just did it as we went along. And so it worked. And then, you know, when I got old enough to read and, you know, was going to school and learning, you know, I could, I could read, I mean, I can read and I can write. It's just, you know, certain, especially with writing, I transpose things. But if I'm looking at something and especially numbers, I'll transpose those, but you get over it. But 
uh, yeah, my memory uh, when I was younger sure came in helpful. The part that made me laugh wasn't the dyslexia part, but the part about... That's okay. <laughs> no, I just, I just got to finish that. So otherwise, this will sound really bad in replay. <laughs> no, it was the part where it talked about the dialogue coach taking over from your mom because you started picking up your mom's accent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my parents were from the South and we would always go every summer. We would go visit grandma and, and we needed to go to Alabama. We'd go to Arkansas. And we come home, you know, with, hey, how are y'all doing? You know, that's a, and so, yeah, I was picking up that accent from my mom and they were going, well, wait a minute. No, Timmy doesn't have an accent. He's just this, you know, little white boy from middle America or something. And so they had to hire a, a coach and uh, he had, and so I, I learned, I think maybe mom cleaned up the accent a little bit. I think she probably learned from that also. <laughs> so your mom is fascinated with autographs you can see from behind me so right. i have that in common with your mom and so well thank goodness then that they didn't have comic cons back then right because then your mom would have just gone to a comic con and you wouldn't be timmy from Lance. there you go she left she would have left me at home and yes i am an extremely big believer in being in the right place at the right time your mom had a plan the plan was to get that autograph by using you to audition but boom there you go. Good job. There you go. And yeah, the- she did. And she didn't have a clue. You know, I mean, there were over on that first audition. They called them a cattle call. There were over 200 little boys and actually some little girls who moms had cut their hair. And uh, most of them, they would go into a room and they'd come out and they'd say, okay, you can go home now. But I'd go in the room and I'd come back out. They'd say, no, John, you stay here. And then towards the end of the day, a woman comes up to my mother and says, hey, I think your son's going to get this job. They need to know who your agent is. And mom was so ignorant of the business. She said, well, no, we live in Pasadena and we own a home, so we don't need an agent. You know, she had not a clue what the woman was talking about. She goes, no, a theatrical agent. And mom says, well, oh my gosh, I don't know. And she says, well, this woman says, well, my name is Lola Moore and I'm the number one child agent in Hollywood and I can represent your son. Mom says, well, okay, but does it cost anything? And she said, no, I just take 10% of whatever your son makes. And mom said, great. And then she says, but when do I get the autograph? She finally got her autograph and I got a job and an agent that started the whole thing. Yeah. Lola seemed to be cleaning up with the kid actors. Oh, man. oh yeah, she sure was, you know, but, and she just, she didn't rock the boat. She just played things straight and narrow, you know, so she wasn't the best agent for the, for the client. I think she was more for the studios, but that's the way it was back then. Yeah. But she recognized uh, an untapped market. Uh huh. Oh yeah. All right. So, so big was the movie with Jane Wyman. Yes. You actually were in that movie with Tommy Reddick, mm-hmm. who was Jeff on Lassie that transitioned to you. When he he gave you Lassie on the show, not to get ahead, but (laughs) spoiler. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the dog, Jeff. (laughs) That's right. I was hoping you would say that. Come on, Jeff. Jeffs are so underrepresented on TV, you know. (laughs) (laughs) No one's named Jeff anymore. It was like when I grew up, everyone was Jeff. And now just no Jeffs. Never thought of that. Wow. Okay. I know, right? Well, you know, that is such a crazy coincidence that Tommy, because we both played uh, the same character, he just played the character older. And there was a dog in the movie in So Big, not a collie. I don't even remember it. Well, I don't remember the movie. I was too young. But um, Red Weatherwax, uh, the Weatherwax had the dog. And he was Lassie's owner and trainer. So, I mean, that's really a crazy coincidence that, you know, those two people. And then five, six years later, 
I'm working with them again on the series. That was pretty strange. I know. It's weird how the world works. The uh, universe kind of puts you all together. So Rod Weatherwax, his family still kind of maintained the training of every generation of Lassie, right? Oh, yeah. No, the Weatherwaxes were the owners, trainers, and breeders of every Lassie since the original movie, Lassie Come Home, which was 1940-something. Up until actually now, his son, Bob Jr., his family now has like the, the 10th, 12th generation Lassie. But, you know, it's just family dog now, not in the business. But they also, the weather waxes were also, they also trained Toto, the Wizard of Oz, Old Yeller, the, the dog in the movie, Old Yeller, who was actually a, a pound, well, I sh a rescue dog. Uh, back then, they called them a pound instead of rescues, but uh, didn't have humane societies then. So sure, sure. But yeah, no, Rudd was Rudd was great, and and I loved Rudd. He was a tough guy, uh, but he had a heart of gold. And I never knew either one of my grandfathers; they had all passed. So he was kind of my surrogate grandfather, and I grew up, you know, with him on the set for seven years, and from seven to fourteen, on and you know, with three different lassies, and then my favorite lassie that I worked with for five years. So it was real family-like. Yeah, it's amazing watching Lassie. <laughs> well, you know- I mean, just how well, how trained they were. You know, well, it was just it, like- The dogs, oh no, Jeff, the dogs were insane. They weren't like, we worked on, when, when I did that show, we worked with every kind of animal you can imagine. Seriously, you name it, we worked with it. And lots of other dogs. And I saw how other trainers dealt with their animals or their dog, what didn't, it didn't matter. It was just how he, he loved his animal and he loved his dogs. He trained with respect and with praise and reward and, you know, that kind of thing instead of being cruel to your animal. So I learned a lot from him. Yeah, he was, uh, he was really a great guy. It's great that you have so many amazing memories, like, you know, and so many special people that we were really a close knit little family. I mean, hey, I went to I worked five days a week, 10 hours a day, um, nine months out of the year on that show. So and, you know, it was always I'd go to work, it'd be one kid, three dogs and about 35 adults and just a couple women. You know, I mean, it was all men, all the older guys all sitting around smoking. And that's how it was. And there's some great. Yeah, you've seen some of the great pictures. I mean, yeah, it was uh, it was a different thing. Sorry to interrupt this amazing conversation, but I want to take a quick moment and thank you for your support of the sponsors. When you support the sponsors, you're supporting us here at Classic Conversations. And that's how we keep the lights on. And now back to my amazing conversation with John Provost. We're about to dive into his next movie and the path to Lassie. Different times. So, all right. So cool. So then you, you became an RKO contract player after Country Girl. Oh, you were a Country Girl yeah. with Grace Kelly and Bing Crosby. Yes. The second movie. Um, yeah. Which then again, I was so young, I don't remember. The third movie, which was, I believe that was All Mine to Give and, and then Back from Eternity and um, Escapade in Japan, you know, all those I remember, especially like Escapade in Japan. That was RKO again, again uh, actually their last movie. The first American movie filmed in Japan 
just about 11 years after the war. And, you know, that wasn't good for the Japanese. And so we didn't know how we were going to be accepted. You know, all these people coming over from Hollywood. It was insane. It was incredible. It was, they loved us. My mother and I are very small, very, very blonde. And the Japanese were small and very, very dark hair. And anytime we were out in public, that people would just come over and want to touch our hair. And just, they, you know, they, it was, it was incredible. And spent um, three and a half months there when I was six. While I was in Japan, they were looking for a replacement for Jeff's part, not you, Tommy Reddick. <laughs> Tommy Reddick's part. The host of Classic <laughs> Conversations from Hey, I had to bring it. I had to bring it around. <laughs> Evidently, they couldn't find the right kid. The wife of the movie was having lunch with the wife of the guy that produced Lassie and came up that, uh, wow, it sounds like the kids you want is in Japan. And so what happened was when I got back from Japan, went and met with the producers and the directors of Lassie, and they said, great. Well, they knew I could act because they'd seen my stuff. So that wasn't the issue. Issue was how me and the dog would react. And um, so I actually went and lived with Red Weatherwax and Lassie for like a long weekend for like three days. He had a ranch uh, about 60 miles outside of LA. Came back and met with the people and we walked in the office and Lassie gave me two paws up and I got the job. And I loved that dog and I thought they loved me. And you can see that. We couldn't fake that. And that's what they were looking for. And that's, that's why they put us together like that. It worked out great. Was that the original Lassie Pal at that time? Actually, Pal was Pal didn't do any TV. Pal only did movies. And then actually, you'll be interested in this, which I only found out, gosh, maybe 20, 15, 20 years ago, that there was actually a Lassie radio show before they started doing television. And Red Weatherwax was in the broadcast booth, as was Lassie. And they would tell a story. And whenever Lassie had to bark, or they would, he would have Lassie bark. I mean, that was, I never knew. And, and I actually, I was, it was an old time radio oh, uh, program show that I was at. And I actually got some, some copies of those. But so Pal didn't do any movies. So he just, I mean, he didn't do TV, did the movies, radio. Then his son uh, worked with Tommy in Tommy's three years on Lassie, but he was old. He was ready to retire. So I worked with him, Pal's son, for about six months. And then Pal's grandson, great-grandson, and great-great-grandson. All male. Was Lassie a uh, male in the book? Oh, no, no. no. Lassie was supposed to... Oh, I'm La- sorry. No, no, was Lassie a female in the book, but they used a male? Correct. No, Lassie. Yeah, yeah. Lassie. Look, our dogs were the oldest crossdressers in Hollywood. <laughs> Every Lassie has been a male, but Lassie is a female. Every year on our series, Lassie would have puppies. So he got this male dog laying down there in the barn, and they would stick about a half a dozen puppies in his belly, and they'd have to get that shot really quick, you know, and then we moved on. But yeah, no, all males. And the reasoning for that, Red Weatherwax told me, well, in the animal kingdom, Usually the males are bigger, more colorful. So that was one reason. Secondly, he said that the males were smarter. And thirdly, he said the males were easier to train than the females. The real reason was when the fe- the females are smaller, but when they would come into season, come into heat, they would lose their coat and they wouldn't want to work. Well, you know, we're making movies here. You know, we don't have time for that. So that's why they always use males. Got it. So why didn't they just make Lassie a male on the show? Well, the the original book, yeah, you know, uh, Lassie. <laughs> they could have taken some. <laughs> uh, 
Well, but no, but see, then oh, then but then the series would have to have been called Pal or Laddie. Oh, that's right. Because I mean, Lassie's well, no, Laddie. Yeah, yeah, it would have to be yeah, called Laddie. Okay, instead. Lassie, Laddie. Yeah, that would have been that. Okay. Yes. Yeah, because right. the Irish Lassie's a girl. See. Yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> this is way above my paper. <laughs> okay, that's funny. All right, so. Jeff Miller on the show, that's Jeff's character, Tommy Reddick, is experiencing something that you'll experience later, which is he's growing out of the role. Yeah. But the whole world's in love with the Millers and Lassie, right? Mm-hmm. So, and so now they introduce you. So here comes Timmy. <laughs> yeah. You know, and a lot of people, it's, oh, he's too young, you know, whatever. But it's true. It's like people had been watching Tommy for three years. And we're, you know, they'd accepted him and were identifying with him and wanted him to continue. But they didn't, you know, the public, they didn't realize that he didn't want to do the show anymore. You know, the public never are told really why things change in a series. And I think when they started with Tommy, he was too old. And so he really did outgrow that part. You know, he he had to move on as, as even as a character, he had to move on. You know, he couldn't just be the kid there on the farm. He had to go do something. Right. He would have needed to go to college or something. Something. Right? Yeah. And so that's what happened yeah. to him. <laughs> they, they said, and then, well, like you said, they found me. Right. So that was, uh, so now we're in the spring of 1957, roughly. An orphan boy named Timmy joins the Miller household. So there was a whole transition period, which I, I found it was really interesting how they, how they did it. Yeah. No, we worked together for a half a season. And back then, you know, we did what today, a new series, um, they'll do 10, 12 episodes, maybe, or five, you know, depending on what it is. Um, we did between 34 and 36 episodes, 37 a year, uh, half hour episodes. So it was a lot. So yeah, we worked together for half a season for, you know, maybe a half a dozen, 15 shows, maybe a little more. Then they pass the torch and then, but they sped it up, right? Because Jeff's grandpa, George Cleveland passed away. Yeah, he, he, he did. He passed away during filming. But it was interesting in your book because to put everything in perspective, right? This is the TV is pretty, is very new Mm -hmm. at this time. So to deal with a death like this was a big deal. They had to handle it a certain way, but they had to they had to confront it as well. Right. What happened to Gramps? <laughs> you know, there he is one day, one Sunday, and now and the next Sunday he's gone. Got to deal with it some somehow. So they sell the house to the Martins, Paul and Ruth Martin. Correct. Version one. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Big John and Cloris Leachman. I did not realize that. So yeah. I was reading your book. I'm like, Cloris Leachman. That's right. How well, did this escape me? Well, it didn't. They didn't show those episodes for years and years and years. They just kept them in the can because they figured it was going to confuse people. Every, If you think of Ruth Martin, there's only one name that comes into mind, and that's June Lockhart. Uh, period. Cloris, you know, I was, I don't, I don't remember personally the politics that went on there, but the story, well, for one thing, if you take the demeanor of June Lockhart and the kind of character she plays and the kind of characters that Cloris Leachman plays, you know, I mean, she can be way out there. June is a lot more settled. Uh, Cloris, you know, she did not realize that she was going to be stuck on this farm baking cookies and being this you know, nice little farm lady for six or seven years. So after about a half a season, she wanted out and they graciously let her get out of her contract. But as you mentioned, John, John Shepard, he who played Paul, the father, they had to let him go too. And he didn't want to go. 
So he got the bad end of the stick on that deal. So anyway, then the next, uh, then they hired um, June Lockhart and Hugh Riley as the parents. So one Sunday, it was Cloris and John. The next Sunday, it was June and Hugh. And guess how many letters the studio got? Zero. None. Because the public, they were just involved with this little kid and the dog. They they didn't even realize it was two different parents. You know, it was crazy. But they just, they didn't show those reruns for years and years with Cloris. Well, the funny part about them getting no letters was when they made it, they had to make a transition of Lassie's around this time as well. And there was like, and there was like a little difference in the noses or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. In the coloring. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone noticed that. Of course. Well, that's, the, you You got it. That was the point. People focused yeah. on the kid and the dog. And that was, yeah, when, when we switched from, quote, the old man, which was the dog that worked with Tommy, to Spook, which was his son. And yeah, he didn't work out really well. And then so baby Spook's son, he took over. And that was the one that I worked with for five years. And I loved that dog and he loved me. And but he if I told him to do something, he'd look at me like, you know, you're not my trainer. We're friends, you know. We'll hang out, but you know, I'll play with you, but I'm not gonna work for you. <laughs> you know, but it had to be that way, you know. So you they didn't want him being distracted or whatever. But on I would sometimes because like I mentioned earlier, Rudd had this ranch outside of LA, out in the Saugus area, which back then it was where people filmed. There was nothing out there. And now it's, you know, concrete and condos and magic mountain. But I'd go out there because Red had like 60 acres. He had a, a pond and I'd go fishing and play with the dog. So I'd leave work Friday after work, jump in the station wagon with Red and a couple dogs, drive out to his ranch, spend the weekend out there, and then Monday come back and go to work. Just it was kind of a double edged thing because for me, it was great to get out of the city and just have fun. But it was a super bonding thing for me and the dog. So I can see how the suits, you know, the people that ran the show said, oh, yes, let them spend as much time together as they can, because that's just going to strengthen that bond, which we had. And that's what you couldn't fake. You know, and that that's I mean, I could read that dog's mind and he could read mine. It, we yeah, he was great. So I, sometimes I, I get lost talking about undeniable him. chemistry. He was a great dog. No, I get it. I get it. It was such an important, special part of your life. I get and I, it. But here's another thing, too, Jeff. I could never take him home. I could only go home. That dog was insured for a million bucks way back then. So that was a lot of, you know, a big deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to mess that up. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> so how, how old are you at this point? You're like six? Uh, well, no, I started the show when I was seven. Seven. So, okay. Seven, yeah. So I, I got I got baby when I was nine because yeah, I worked with him for five years. So. so what was it like going on like the Jack Benny show and being in the Rose Bowl parade and doing all these things? Do you remember that? I mean, that must. Oh, been yeah. Like but to me, because I, like I said earlier, you know, I started when I was you know two and a half. I grew up on that sound. So when I would meet people like Jack Benny or Bob Hope or, you know, somebody really big to me, they were just people like myself. They were actors. They were doing their job. Yeah, there were some people like I was, I admired and I was like, you know, whoa, well, there's um, Dan Blocker. There's Hoth. Oh, wow. You know, from Bonanza, you know, oh man, yeah, that yeah. guy's really cool. But he's sitting there in the commissary having lunch like me. And he's wearing his cowboy outfit and I'm wearing my Timmy outfit. 
We're just doing what we do. It's just what I did, you know? So it, it was exciting. It was always neat to, like you mentioned, all the parades, like the Hollywood Lane Parade and stuff. Because then I'd get to kind of link up with other kids in the business that we may not have hung around together you know, but we would see each other at events and we all knew each other and we all had the same experiences under our belts, though we could really relate to each other. And, you know, some I am friends with today. Unfortunately, I just lost a really, really good friend, you know, um, Tony Dow. So, yeah, those things were they were great, but it was, you know, it wasn't like, oh, boy, I'm going to the parade today. You know, it was like, oh, oh, I got another parade to go to. Cool. Well, that'll be fun. And I'll get to see so and so. You know, it was it was what I did. I mean, it wasn't boring by at any means. It was just routine. I guess that might be a good way to put it. Yeah, very sorry about about Tony. I actually had just talked with Stu Showstack and Tony was his uh, best man at his wedding. Yeah. And yeah. so I had I'd been following all of them and when he started posting when he was fighting the good fight. Yeah. And all that kind of stuff. You know, and it's it's unfortunate because, you know, Tony was a um, you know, a little bit older than than I. But, you know, all of us, you know, all of this group, you, you, this 50s, 50s, 60s, you know, early 70s, that group, especially the early ones, the beginning, like you mentioned, you know, television was in its infancy. Yeah, there were three networks, people, three channels, maybe four if you were in New York or L.A. or someplace. So it was, you know, it was just, it was a whole nother thing. But uh, it's unfortunate because we're all a lot of us, we're, get, we're getting up there and, you know, it's, it's just life. Time is a bitch. It sure is. And you can't stop it. (laughs) You can't turn it back and and all that. Sorry to interrupt this amazing conversation with John Provost, but we got to take a quick break. And we're back with John Provost about to dive into what it's like to have the majority of America watching you every week. And we're back. All right. So, John, so 40 percent of America is watching Lassie. Right. So, like you said, there's three channels. So it's much more focused at that time than it is today. Where oh, you might yeah. get. So 40 percent. So you're going to school in between in between seasons and stuff like that. So what is it like just just even walking anywhere as young John Provost walking to a supermarket? No, no, I was all I was Timmy when Lassie was on because it was current. So every Sunday at seven, seven thirty CBS, you know, like you said, a third of the people were sitting down watching it. And so how about Saturday afternoon when that kid was going to watch Lassie on Sunday is going to the matinee to see a Disney cartoon and in walks Tim John Provost with a couple of his friends to watch the movie and just be a kid. And they look at you and they go, wait a minute, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. You're supposed to be in a farm and I'm going to see you on TV tomorrow. And what are you doing in color? There, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and how come you, the show your dog? Right, and how come you, yeah, and well, what are you doing in the city? Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, when parents, we'd go out to dinner. I don't know. I think people were a little bit more reserved back then than they are today. They wouldn't just come up to you and, you know, while you were putting a bite into your mouth and say, hey, can I have your autograph? That happens. But back then it wasn't quite that bad. And of course, we didn't have the paparazzi and all that kind of craziness. But uh, no, it could be it could be invasive, you know. And yeah, people thought of me as Timmy, not as John. And they always thought of me as the little kid, even though I was older. That's what happened to Tommy. 
same thing. Everybody thought of him as this little kid on the farm, Jeff. And he's going, no, I'm not Jeff. I'm growing a beard. You know, I, I can grow hair. And I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's people would always, even today, people call me Timmy, you know, but it's okay. It's all right. There, there was there was that time when I rebelled and it was when I went to college and I, you know, this was like 70 69, 70, 71. And, you know, I had long hair, the hippie. I mean, I people would come up to me and say, John Provost, that name sounds familiar. Were you that? People confuse me with him all the time, you know, and I would deny it. And then I, I just said, you know what? It doesn't work. And it, you know what? It doesn't really matter because they have good feelings about it. Nobody's ever come up to me, Jeff, and said, we hated Lassie. Never happened. They would have to be institutionalized if that was true. How would you be But you, I mean, you know, it could have been it could have been different. So now, no, no, it's you know, it's yeah, it's great. But so, in addition to that, forty percent people watching. Here's some trivia I found, which I thought was interesting. I think Lassie to this day is one of the longest running shows, at least in the top five, probably of all time mm -hmm. in its many iterations. But it was the first long running television show to remain in its time slot and day of the week during the, its entire prime time run on US TV. Whoa. Prime time, because I think the last three years it was in a syndicated show. But wow. Okay. So that helps too. Oh, yeah. Right? I yeah. mean, it's, when it's every, when you know, it doesn't, this, oh, day, I, this time. Don't you hate that? You love a show and then they switch it from one night to a different time uh, whatever oh yeah yeah but oh, no yeah. that okay that, i did not know that that's good i i know well this, <laughs> we're here together and uh you can get a uh, tell laura you can put it in the next version of the book okay there you go <laughs> <laughs> wait did i read that they in your book they pulled your teeth oh, <laughs> oh that must have been a nightmare they wouldn't do they wouldn't be allowed to do that today i don't yeah it was what what ha i was losing one of my my front teeth, upper fronts, middle. They were gonna make a little a bridge because for continuity, that was one reason Timmy always wore the same shirt, always wore the check shirt, jeans, tennis shoes. Because, like I said earlier, sometimes we could be filming three different scripts in one day. Well, that would be a nightmare for the costume person. So they always had Timmy wear the same clothes. Continuity, no big problem. Well, they couldn't have Timmy lose his teeth, so they were gonna. One tooth came out and they were going to put a bridge, make a bridge. Well, I guess the dentist told him, well, you know, it'd be, he's going to lose that other one eventually. Then you're going to have to make another bridge when put two teeth. So it might be easier just to do the two right now. Yeah, it wasn't. And I, yeah, it's really funny because we were in down south recently and we were driving down the, my old haunts and we drove by the building and I pointed out to Laura. I said, Laura, you see that building? I said, that's where the dentist was. I remember that. I mean, till today. Listen to that. That's crazy. I, I probably could go to the to the floor in the office where that guy was because I just went in, had not a clue, and then you know, and they numbed, and then the next numbed me up, and the next thing I know, he's like got a hammer and chisel, and he's knocking this tooth, and I'm whoa. So yes, yeah, so then I had a bridge for my two front teeth. Well, there's something positive that comes out of this. We filmed at Desilu, which was right next door to Paramount. Desi Lou's commissary wasn't as good as Paramount. So some days we'd go over to Paramount to have lunch. So we're over there having lunch and Bob Hope is there making a movie. And somebody, and I'm like, you know, 10 years old. And so they, somebody goes, oh, photo op. So they grab me and they take me in where Bob's having lunch and he's in costume and I'm in costume. And he goes, they put me on his lap. And they're going to do a picture and Bob looks at me and he goes, I mean, this is Bob Hope, right? Right, right. Yeah. And he looks at me and says, okay, kid, make me laugh. 
And, <laughs> yeah, thank you. And I just, oh, me, how, yeah, how do I, you know, I'm not a, and I remembered I had my false teeth. And so I popped my false teeth out, stuck them out on my tongue. And of course, he just cracked up. They got a great photo. And the fun part was I have that photo. I have it up on the wall here. It's real big. It must have been about 20, 30 years ago. I was able to get him to sign it. And finally, I got it signed. Big. Yeah, so I made Bob Hope laugh. So that was the, the only good thing that came out of that um, horrible dental experience that I had. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know, sometimes it's worth it. Yeah, you never, you never. No, nah, it wasn't. Yeah, well, I, don't, I don't know. No, I know. I know. It's, uh, you, you, you made lemonade. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know where we are in the timeline exactly, but you won the New York Film Critic Top Child Actor Award in 1958. So that must have felt good. And then... You were at the opening of Tomorrowland at Disneyland. I love all mm-hmm. things Disney, so that was exciting. You've done all these such cool things. Um, you're on Captain Kangaroo. Oh, yeah, Mr. Green Jeans. Oh, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Did you know Mr. Green Jeans? <laughs> they were all there. That's so cool. And then what was it like to be part of the Timmy Martin, John Provost fan club at this time? Like Fan clubs were a big thing, weren't they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Didn't you? you know, I was just really focused either working or just trying to, to be a kid. It's crazy you say about the fan club thing. You know, at first, the letters all would go to the studio. And so like once a week, they would, you know, deliver to, to my mother, to the house or something. A couple of, of those like, um, what do they call them? Like duffel bags or something full of letters. And so mom, finally, I think she told them, she said, look, she goes, why don't you just, we'll just have them delivered to our house. So now there's this huge fan club and mom is giving them our home address. So thousands and thousands of people have our home address and they're writing to us right at home. Well, I guess some people figure, look, wait, wait, this isn't a studio. This is a regular. Well, now they're showing up at the house. And I mean, it was crazy. Did you move? (laughs) No, I mean, but it was like nothing weird ever happened. It was just a different time. I mean, you couldn't, if you did that today, forget it. You know, it was just no way. And every, you know, thing was, was answered. Every, every piece of fan mail was answered, you know, by, not by me, but by, you know, the provost family or somebody there helping. And it was, uh, it was crazy. It was crazy. It was a big deal, but it's, yeah, I don't know what to say. Speaking of big deals, you met the Lone Ranger and, and uh, Silver. Oh boy, that was, an, he did one episode of Lassie and what a, what a thing that was. Clayton Moore was the Lone Ranger. I mean, he believed in, you know, he, he believed in, in the character. And so when he was on Lassie, I never once, he would never let me see him out of character. It's like I said earlier, when actors and people, they to me were just like me because I, I would, you know, see them, like I said, eating lunch with us or getting in the makeup chair next to me, getting made up. June Lockhart coming to work in the morning, looking like she just got out of bed because she did. And then she went and sat in in the makeup chair for three hours. Okay. So, you know, that's what you saw, but I never saw him as a regular person. He was always the lone ranger. And on the last day of filming, he was getting ready to leave. And he called me over and he said, John, he goes, "Ah, you've been a good you know, a good kid because I want to give you some. And he reached into his holster and he pulled out and he gave me a silver bullet. Damn. And I don't know. I, you know, I didn't save stuff from the series or whatever. So I gave that 
silver bullet away. I gave it to a friend, you know, for a present or something, or some friend said, wow, that's really cool. Can I have that? And I said, sure, you know, whatever. And I've told that story before. And I told it at an autograph show years ago. And a few years back, a fan who had a silver bullet from the Lone Ranger gave me his. So <laughs> the, the oh, whole so full, cool. the full circle came around. But you mentioned the opening at Tomorrowland at Disneyland. And then we mentioned the Lone Ranger. Well, there's a tie-in there. And the tie-in is Jack Rather, who owned the Lassie series. He also owned the Lone Ranger and Sergeant Preston of the Yukon. But other things that he owned was the Disneyland Hotel. So he was, you know, with he and Walt were kind of builders and guys together. And so when something went on, everybody was included. And so that's one reason that Lassie and I were there. All right. So as so now you're growing older, you're hitting puberty. (laughs) Yeah, you're starting to realize (laughs) what Tommy is. Jeff was feeling. There you go. Tommy's three seasons are now in syndication as Jeff's Collie. Correct. So, frankly, I think it's a better name for the show. But, uh, <laughs> well, there's a reason. I mean, yeah, personally, you... me. I mean, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, I'm just kidding. And so um, talk to me. I know I know this was a decision you made, which I think is was great that your parents kind of put this in your hands and, and let you do what was right for you versus mm-hmm. how did you, like, what did you, did you weigh pros and cons? Like, how did you, or did you just have this innate feeling that, time for me to go. See, I had the seven-year contract. So I thought seven years, I'm 14, it's where it's going to be over. Well, all of a sudden, my parents said, look, there was a three-year option for to make seven years, I mean, 10 years. And they said, but the good thing is the option is ours. So you can, you know, if you want to say no, you can't or go on for 10 more years. I mean, for three more years, I was exactly going through what Tommy went through. And I said, no, I, I love acting. I enjoy all that, but I am tired of being Timmy. I'm 14. You know, I'm more, now I'm more interested in girls than I am in dogs. So it's time to go. And so my, yeah, like my parents said, uh, do that now. Yeah. There was a lot of stuff to think about the, like I said, Jack rather, well, for one thing, I didn't have much time in summer when we were on hiatus because we were promoting the show and stuff. So I wanted more time. So they agreed to, well, okay, we'll give you a, you know, three weeks off for yourself. Do whatever you want to do. Okay. And then, oh, we're going to give you more money. Or, and then here was the kicker. Jack Rather, owner of the show, also at that time owned the Balboa Bay Club and Chris Craft Boats. Okay. They make big boats, nice boats. And so he said, well, John, you know, you like being out on my boat. Um, how about, uh, how'd you like a yacht? Uh, excuse me, you know, I'm 14 years old and you want to give me a 50 foot boat? No. (laughs) So no. And so I just told my parents, no, 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 no. But I do want to act. So I quit Lassie. They shipped us off to Australia, got rid of the family. And then Lassie went off to the forest ranger, which I think was a big mistake. I think they should have left Lassie with another family like Jeff did with me. Jeff, you made a mistake. You should have given... No, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, and like we had, you know, there were kids that lived down the lane. We had a little girl that lived down the lane. 
I could have given Lassie to the girl. I could have given whatever, but they... A girl would have been great because they would have mixed it up a bit, Hello. Because right? yeah. the point is, Lassie... But is, girls are it, smarter than boys. She probably wouldn't have fallen <laughs> into the well or gotten caught in yeah. quicksand. <laughs> oh, well. So maybe that, maybe, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I think they made a mistake there. But like you said, Lassie went on and it's different configurations to be one of the longest running series uh, that there has been, so... Oh, I was going to say the fascinating thing in your book, though, uh, before you go into the next thing is that when you pick Australia, like they purposely picked a place where legally you could not bring a lassie, a a dog. Mm -hmm. And and I found that fascinating that they would do that because you're right. The the public would mentally probably put up barriers to you and probably. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, no, that that was. And but the crazy thing is that is still in effect today in Australia. Yeah, if you want to bring, you know, they heavily, heavily, heavily quarantined. A lot of places are like Hawaii, the same thing. You have to really quarantine. And, you know, it makes a lot of sense. But yeah, no, they picked a good one on that. And who would have thought? I mean, Lord. Did you ever regret it walking away? No, no, not from Lassie. I did not. It was the time. It was the decision. Yes. No, that that was. And like, you know, after Lassie, the first movie I did was um, This Property is Condemned. Robert Redford, Natalie Wood, Charlie Bronson, um, Mary Badham, you know, from To Kill a Mockingbird. Written by Francis Ford Coppola. (laughs) Not quite. (laughs) And Tennessee Williams. But no, and and so, you know, and then after that, another movie that nobody ever heard of. and, And then Computer Wore Tennis Shoes, Kurt Russell. Now, here was a big tipping, another, I should say, another big tipping point. I just finished a movie in the Philippines. It was great. I was three, three months there, 17 years old. It was with the actor Gary Merrill. Uh, it was his last movie. We had a lot of fun. Terrible movie, but a lot of fun. And then came home and then got the Disney movie, uh, Computer Wear Tennis Shoes. Well, Kurt and I both had our birthdays. He turned 17. I turned 18. Well, we were filming and we were hanging out doing something. And I said, you know, man, I said, I just turned 18. I've been working 15 years. And he said, why don't you take a break? And I thought about it. And my girlfriend at the time from high school, she was pushing me in that direction also. And I said, okay, yeah, maybe I'm going to do that. And then on the, the family side, my father, I'm the youngest of three, but my father said, you know, all my kids go to college. And when you go to college, you go to college, you don't stay home. So I made a decision then, you know, okay, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to get out of the business. There's no way I could, you could do both. So that, that was when I really wrote uh, The Pink Slip to get out of Hollywood. I ended up moving to Northern California. And of course, you know, doing talk shows and all of that kind of stuff in between, but never really, you know, getting back in the business. And then it was like 1988, kind of heard through the grapevine that there was there was down at Universal, they were thinking of doing this new Lassie series. So found out who was producing it, decided to give Al Burton, the producer, a call. Called him and said, hey, you're going to do a new Lassie thing. Um, first thing he says to me on the phone, you're going to love this. He goes, I don't want to use anybody from the old show. I said, okay, great. I said, but besides, what about, you know, behind the scene, the consultant, something like that? And he goes, oh, that, that could be good. So I said, okay. So I went down to Universal. We met, we had lunch. And as we're doing it, he goes, well, you know, maybe there is a place for you in this series. And so then long story short, I'm in the new series. I'm not Timmy Martin anymore. I'm this other guy. And then 
Uncle Steve, not just any guy, your Uncle Steve. It was, yeah, <laughs> it made no sense. It made no sense. They could, whatever. So then obviously everybody knows, well, wait a minute, that's the guy that you, so then the next, I am Timmy, I'm growing up, but I changed my name, blah, blah, blah. The first season was kind of crazy. The second season was really good because Bob Weatherwax, who had the eighth generation, I believe it was Lassie at that time, maybe the sixth. We both went to Alan's to the producer and said, you know, you're just not doing this the way Lassie is. And he said, okay, well, why don't you guys, well, Bob directed a couple. He said, and I, and why don't you write a story? So I came up with a story, storyline, um, which was accepted. We did the episode and uh, it was called a rabbit's tale. It was about using rabbits in cosmetic testing. And that episode won for that year, the best family episode about animals and and you know, being treated properly by by the uh, Genesis uh, Foundation. Yeah, Genesis Award for Outstanding yeah. Television in a Family Series. Yeah, so that that was super. But also, Tommy Reddick was in it. Jeff, yeah, grown up Jeff Miller. <laughs> there you Not go, just grown up Jeff Miller. Yeah, yeah that's right. yes. And also June Lockhart was in it, and one person who I had never met, but who was in the original movie Lassie Come Home with Elizabeth Taylor. Roddy McDowell. Absolutely one of my favorites. Oh my God. And what, you know, I had never, I, and there's a man that I, okay, now you asked earlier, you know, was I admired by these people? Well, as a child, no. But as an adult, oh boy, when I met Roddy McDowell, you know, come on. And what an incredible, nice, sweet, what a, what a great man. Oh, and, and Margaret O'Brien, um, she did one of the episodes. So it was great. We And the second season was really changing and looking good. But unfortunately, it wasn't picked up, you know, for a third or, or whatever. But it's work with Dee Wallace, Christopher Stone. Oh, yeah. No, Dee Wallace. We had a great cast. Well, and yeah, there, there, we had this idea. I was in, I had a recurring I was a recurring character, so every other episode. And in one episode, they had Will Nipper, who played my nephew. He, uh, one of his friends on the show, was this kid. He's just starting out. Uh, Leo uh, DiCaprio. Ever heard of him? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't think he went anywhere. But yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. So he got his debut on the new Lassie show, but unfortunately, I didn't get to meet him. But yeah, and and then Will, uh, Will, you, you, well, you mentioned Dee Wallace, of course, and Christopher Stone, uh, her husband, who who passed away, but. Will, who who became Will Estes, uh, went on to True Bloods and is still there. And he, so he had an incredible career. Yeah, we had a lot of fun on that show. It's just too bad it didn't last. When you, you kind of skipped ahead and you just skipped totally over meeting Mr. Ed and working with Mr. Oh, Ed. yeah. Well, uh, you skipped oh, Mr. Man. Ed. I don't know well, how does this oh, happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, okay, yeah. When I left Lassie. I get you worked with Lassie, so most people's lead might be Mr. Ed if that's all they did. But So I get it. But Well, here's the thing. No, I, okay. I worked with the smartest dog and then, you know, that wasn't enough. I had to leave. And then I worked with the smartest horse there was. And he was great. And Alan Young was super. And uh, the director of that show was Arthur Lubin, who was the director of the movie Escapade in Japan that I did, you know, before I got the show from, for Lassie. Yeah, unfortunately, and I have to blow everybody, burst everybody's bubble. Mr. Ed didn't really talk. What? I, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. But that's Hollywood. You, you, you got to throw out spoiler before you say something like that, John. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. That's Hollywood. Well, Lassie did eventually find another collie in the series towards the end, and they had a litter together. So. Yeah. 
<laughs> I've kept you forever. So I, I have one last quick question. Okay, cool. Well, first of all, I do want to mention that your outfit is in the Smithsonian with uh, Archie Bunker's chair yes. and Fonzie's jacket. And that so, was a, that was incredible. And then you mentioned in your book that you saw the Beatles live. Oh, twice. Oh, yeah. You couldn't hear them. Oh, rub it in my face. Twice. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, okay. The, 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 fir- the first time was at Dodger Stadium. And you couldn't hear anything. It was it was like absurd. But the second time was at the Bowl, the Hollywood Bowl, which was designed for music. Not yeah, it wasn't a ballpark, right? And so you could hear something then. But you know, I mean, Lord, that was those concerts lasted a half hour, and that was it. Or the the main performance, the Beatles, because you know, you did one album, it was a half hour, not like a concert you go to today. You know, three hours long. You know, I was I was really lucky growing up in LA at that time to see a lot of, uh, you know, like, you know, the Doors, Jimi Hendrix, you know, I mean, you can name it people live in small, small venues. I was really lucky with that. But yeah, the Beatles twice. And then of course, we've seen, you know, Paul and Ringo and, you know, that's awesome. John, this has been like the most amazing time. Thank you. I so many great stories. It just goes on. It goes on. We got a call a few months back. Lori gets a call from this producer. He says, um, we would like to know if John would like to be the voice of a robot in a science fiction movie that we're doing. Okay, mm-hmm. why not? So I am the voice of the robot Spark, who is, and uh, the movie is called Colonials. And it's uh, it's a science fiction movie, I, my very first science fiction. And I'm a you remember the 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 movie um, Castaway with uh, Tom Hanks mm-hmm. and Wilson, his his friend. Sure, yeah. Well, that's Spark is like a Wilson. He's a, a floating kind of oblong round robot, which is basically he's just a face uh, with eyes that uh, and you know he talks. He's a good robot, but yeah, he can be a little violent once in a while too. So I'm kind of living out some of my fantasies, but it's amazing. <laughs> you know, it just goes on and on, Jeff. That's incredible. And then you do all the fan shows, right? The, the oh yeah, yeah, or... yeah. As a, oh, as a matter of fact, yeah, we're going to be doing a couple. Like, yeah, I've got some stuff lined up this year on the East Coast, on the West Coast, hopefully everywhere in between. You got to come to the Detroit Motor City Comic Con. Hey, there you go. Years ago, years ago. So maybe it's time to come back. It's time to come back. All right. We'll let you know. Awesome. So many great stories. I love, I love talking to you. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. So what do we got? We got johnprovost.com. We got your book, Timmy's in the Well, the John Provost story available wherever books are sold, Amazon, et cetera. Do you hang out on social media at all other than? uh, Um, Not a whole bunch. You know, I do have um, a Facebook page. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Cool. All right. Well, thank you. All right. How amazing was John Provost? Definitely check out his book. It's a really great book. So many more stories that we didn't even dive into. If you're into the history of TV, do not miss his book. It's amazing. And definitely check him out online and hang out with him on Facebook, you know, all that stuff. Well, with the interview over, it can only mean one thing. That's right. It's time for another trending hashtag from the family of hashtags at Hashtag Roundup. Download the free, always free, Hashtag Roundup app from the Google Play Store or iTunes App Store. Tweet along with us, and one day one of your tweets may show up on a future episode of Classic Conversations. Fame and fortune await you. This episode's hashtag is Hashtag Why Dogs Are Better Than Humans. 
Brought to us by Wonder Tags, a weekly game on hashtag Roundup. Hashtag why dogs are better than humans. Well, if you've got an answer, definitely tweet it and tag us at Jeff Jawaskin Show on Twitter. We'll show you some Twitter love. Obviously, this hashtag was picked due to an inspiration from the theme of the show. Lassie, anyone better than Lassie? I don't think so. How many times did he save Timmy? I know. She's amazing. All right, let's dive into hashtag why dogs are better than humans. Dogs inevitably find the clues and the villains even when they're not looking. When dogs eat documents, they don't even try to hide it. Shouldn't have left your homework sitting around. Dogs don't judge us for taking naps. Don't we all need someone around who just doesn't judge us? These are hashtag why dogs are better than humans tweets. Dogs aren't put in jail for pooping on the lawn. Well, they should be. Get off my lawn. Dogs are always in the mood to snuggle. Two words you can always count on from a dog. Unconditional love. They're always smiling. But the most important reason, hashtag why dogs are better than humans. Dogs don't care how many things we've ordered from Amazon. Oh, yes. Oh, that is why hashtag why dogs are better than humans. All right. All these folks are retweeted at Jeff Jawaskin Show. Show them some Twitter love. Tweet your own. But with the hashtag over and the interview over, sadly, that only can mean one thing. Oh, my goodness. Episode 182 has come to a close. I want to thank my special guest, John Provost. And I want to thank all of you for coming back week after week. It means the world to me. And I'll see you next time so much for listening to this episode of Classic Conversations. If you like what you heard, don't be shy and give us a follow on your favorite podcast app. Also, why not go ahead and tell all your friends about the show? You strike us as the kind of person that people listen to. Thanks in advance for spreading the word and we'll catch you next time on Classic Conversations. Classic Conversations.